I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Warbakal and Waramai people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I think if you think of wine as a subject that you need to pick up straight away, you'll be overwhelmed. But if you just take it bit by bit, and look, let's be honest, it's pretty easy homework, isn't it? Taking a bottle home and drinking it and trying to get your mind wrapped around it. Um, That would be my advice. Just start small, small bits of information bit by bit, and then that'll, you know, that'll gradually put the jigsaw puzzle together. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Adam Walls stumbled into the world of wine and found the industry was just where he needed to be. He has since hit his stride as the wine buyer for wine selectors, TV personality and wine show judge. More importantly, he's an excellent human with a killer palate and personality you'll never forget. Hi, Wolsey. Thanks for joining me. Shantae, how are you? (laughs) You're welcome. Did you like your introduction? I did like that introduction. I loved it. And I... um, a long-time listener, first-time caller, one of my favourite things about your podcast is listening to everyone's reaction on their on their intro. Um, I know Nick Ryan said it was the best intro ever on his little episode. Um, so, I did like that. Thank you, mate. That's a, It makes everyone feel relaxed uh, as they go into the next, uh, next hour. I hope relaxed and I hope like, you know, a little bit humbled and a little bit like self-important as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Humbling. So I don't ever really consider myself that self-important, but for this particular exercise, I will. So, you've um, you've nailed it, put it that way. Thank you. <laughs> I think you should be self-important because you're, you are important. Now, let's talk about how your kind of segue into this wonderful industry started. I believe it began in bars. What was your first job in hospitality? Uh, I worked at a um, a club in Newcastle. Um, actually, I'll take one step back. Um, I I worked at a restaurant called Babington's Restaurant, which um, is at the Apollo Inn, which is a hotel in Newcastle on the Pacific Highway um, near Charlestown, um, kind of southern suburbs of Newcastle. Um, and that came about after uh, putting about – 30 resumes, I think, into local bars and restaurants around Newcastle. Um, so, jagged a, um, jagged a lucky break and, and started working functions um, and then that moved into working into the bar of an evening, um, you know, which as a, as a 19-year-old was great to, as a supplementary income and, and I was studying um, hospitality management at, at TAFE at the time. Um, so that kind of, it killed two birds with one stone. It, it got me some pocket money, um, but also um, kind of ticked the box for, for work experience that I needed to do as part of that course. So yeah, good old Babington's was, um, was the first uh, parlay into the hospitality industry. It's always good to kind of reflect on those first jobs and how green you were and and kind of, you know, just remember what, what those moments were like. But what was your di- drink of choice when you were 19? Uh, look, it was probably beer, um, if I'm brutally honest. Beer and... Um and bourbon. Um, I, I grew up in country New South Wales in a place called Gunnedah, um, and it was basically had two choices of a of a beverage. If it wasn't beer, you either drank um, bourbon, which in was pretty much Jim Beam White Label, um, 
or if you, um, you know, were feeling rich, uh, you drank Jack Daniels, um, or you drank Bundy rum. Um, you know, as I would imagine, is probably very similar in in most um, country towns in New South Wales, and if not across the country. Um, so I was a, a Jim Beam um, drinker, and it was beer. Um, and uh, I still remember one of the pubs in Newcastle at the time as part of their early RSA, used to give you Kahlua and milk as a drink if they thought you'd had a few too many and needed a bit of time on the on the bench, on the sideline. Um, so I do recall having the odd Kahlua and milk um, on Wednesday night student nights. I don't know how that worked with your stomach and whatnot, but there you go. So it was, it was beer or, or bourbon and Bourbon and Coke, sadly, um, they were they were the two beverages of choice back then. I wonder if the Kahlua milk was not so much to put you on the bench or to put you outside on the curb, you know, spewing your guts up because of the milk content. Oh, I mean, that's that's pretty brutal. I mean, I'm nothing against Kahlua. I don't mind that as a drink, but ouch. Yeah, it, look, it, it yeah, the the mind boggles and the uh, and as to your point, the stomach churns, doesn't it? Just kind of reflecting on that, but um. That was a vivid memory that stuck with my first year of uh, of out of school, living living away from home and, and doing what it is that 19-year-old um, people do. So, um, but yeah, not a lot of wine back then, lots of beer and yeah, lots of bourbon and coke and evidently the odd Kahlua and milk. <laughs> well, you are a total pro now, so no Kahlua and milk needed. Tell me, what did working in bars teach you about communicating with people? Um Look, prior to that, I would have I would have probably said as a youngster I was you know a little bit uh, on the on the shy side when it came to people that I wasn't a hundred percent you know comfortable around or, or, or new to meet. Um, I still remember mum, um, and I still think it's one of the best um, things that I ever did on on their kind of account was to do a Toastmasters course, and I don't know whether or not it's still. Um, still something that's that's available but basically they taught you you know how to speak in public um so for me working with people kind of came easy because i had that kind of um you know that basic training i had done a bit of public speaking beforehand but i think it, it taught me patience um and also taught me i think you know a skill to be able to you know not not read people but adapt your behavior um to what you're picking up from that person that you're dealing with. Um, they were the two things that I, I'm very grateful for my brief stint um, in the hospitality trade and I think they're kind of really important life skills, how to be able to, you know, react to how other people are feeling or what they're saying or the vibe that they're bringing across and also how to be patient when dealing with people as well. Hmm. I wonder if, you know, those courses still still exist because, you know, I've never to this day heard of like a Toast Masters course, but actually some of those, yeah, those simple things. I did a, a deportment course, which taught me essentially how to walk with confidence. And I still think to this day, that's, that's totally underrated, you know, like a lot of people get up, walk across the room in front of people. They feel pretty awkward. They do. Yeah. And just those little things that you, you listen to people who are, you know, um, human behavior specialists or psychologists or all the like, you know, and they talk about, you know, head up, shoulders back, you know, projecting um, 
confidence and it's all those little things and that you pick up and and certainly you know this is 20 odd years ago now but reflecting on that Toastmasters course it was all about you know how to speak slowly how to you know and don't get me wrong, I've got no problem speaking slowly, let's be honest, um, but how to project your voice, how to, you know, um, you know, get across the message that you're trying to um, convey um, easily f- uh, for people to understand. And, and I still, to this day, still like listening and watching, I guess, people get interviewed on TV. Politicians, I guess, are the ones we see the most of. And um, I used to love listening to Barack Obama talk because of the way that he had that kind of Barack Obama pause where he kept everyone, you know, just kind of almost leaning in to see what he was about to say. I thought he was a real master at it. Um, You know, so they taught you little things like that, which I think puts you in good stead um, as you get older. Totally. Yeah. That's the space in between rather than filling up, you know, the conversation with lots of words. It's sometimes about what you admit that that has the impact. I love that. Now you worked over in the UK. What was that like? Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Um, I was lucky enough to, I went over on the, um, you know, the stereotypical two year kind of Australian um, travel visa and I went over to work for a guy um, called Scott Poole who is no longer with us, um, which is a great tragedy. Uh, and Scott was one of my um, teachers at, at hospitality management at Newcastle TAFE and he had this dream to buy a, um, a country house hotel, a, a castle in, in Scotland and kind of turn it into, you know, a five-star hospitality destination. And I was lucky enough to get on really well with Scott and I really liked the way that he talked and he thought about hospitality. Um, he he spent a lot of his formative years working at the Savoy Hotel in London, so I had a real kind of classical, I guess, hospitality training. And long story short, he offered me a job um, when he bought this um, country house called Dalmunzi, um, which is smack bang right in the middle of Scotland. Um, and so I went over to work um, for him and, and was lucky enough to do the two years and then they were they were open to a sponsorship and I, I did three years of the four years of sponsorship visa, but just loved it. Um, I think from a personal growth point of view, um, you can't measure what that's like to be able to, you know, experience that part of the world and travel and be so far away from home. Um, from a hospitality point of view, you know, it just, it, it was, I learned things that, you know, um, again, hard to kind of measure. And from a wine point of view, that's when, as you would know, and anyone else who's in wine, that exposure to the old world or Europe um, of wine, is that's when it really, you know, you open your mind to go, okay, well, this is, this is amazing. There's so much to discover. And also working in the UK, um, this was 2004. So at the time, they were the most kind of dynamic wine market globally. And the access to the wines that you had over there from every single corner of the globe was um, fabulous. So as a, I went over as a 20-year-old to have, to have all those lessons, both personally from a hospitality career point of view and also a wine career point of view yeah I, it was it was fabulous and I, I certainly certainly you know wouldn't be 
where I am today without that kind of five years formative um, time spent in the UK. Loved it. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, it often takes us, I think, that, you know, leaving the nest and being overseas to really push us for that sense of personal growth. But in terms of communication, did you – could you understand what the Scots were on about? <laughs> Not a lot, no. <laughs> it took me a little while. Um, I remember having a, uh, I think it was the second weekend, had, we had a, um, uh, one, of the, one of the sous chefs was from Glasgow and, and quite a, you know, um, yeah, I'll hopefully say it was a pretty rough part of Glasgow he grew up in and Rab was his name and I, I couldn't understand him. And look, he couldn't understand me either. There was a number of other Aussies working there and, I would get guests come up to me and say, what part of, where are you from? And when you'd remark I'm from Australia, they'd look at you weirdly and go, well, I just met one of your work colleagues and they're from Australia and you sound a lot different to what they do. Um, So, you know, my recourse was naturally that mine's obviously a very, you know, um, classical Aussie accent, shall we say. Classical. But no, um, I um, I love love the Scottish. I think they're brilliant people. Um, I love their um, I love their accent, and you know, it probably took me nine months to answer your question to get to get to really understand, you know, phrases and terms and you know what they're trying to communicate. Hmm, it's probably my favourite accent. I'm I, I didn't go there for a very good reason because I thought I could be in some serious trouble if I went over to Scotland. Yeah, may not ever return. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, when you you came back to Australia, you made the move to work at Cellar Doors. Why why that decision? Uh, I'd had enough of hospitality. Um, I'd had about. Um, pretty much 10 years by that stage um, and I think I was a bit burnt out if I'm honest um, and I had figured out at that point that you know um, wine was an avenue that I wanted to go down wanted to really kind of immerse myself in um, I arrived back in Newcastle and wasn't really sure on what I wanted to do um, felt a little bit lost, if I was honest. It probably took me 12 months to kind of find my feet. Um, but, um, you know, Newcastle being so close to the Hunter, and, and I'd worked in the Hunter previously. Um, I worked at what is now Spice's guest house, which was then Pepper's guest house. I worked there for two years, so I kind of knew the Hunter. Um, and um, I thought, well, look, you know, let's have a let's get closer to the actual wine production and and work in cellar doors. And um, I, I did a little stint working casually with a mate of mine, and then was offered um, a full time role at, at at Tower Estate, um, which is back in the day, just as um, Sam Conyu um, uh, of, of Stargazer Wine fame came. Um, she'd moved from Wirra Wirra and came up to the Hunter. Um, to take over tower so um, yeah it was exciting to immerse myself in that side of the in that side of the trade what did you what struck you most about the hunter when you started working there about it as a wine region I thought it was beautiful um, you know landscape was um, especially with that you know um, broke back mountain range, um, broken back mountain, I should say, range behind. Um, I also thought that, you know, that collegiate nature that um, I think all wine regions have, but the hunter certainly has that. Um, and I also thought the fact that um, 
there was this drive in the Hunter to really benchmark themselves against not only the best in Australia but the best wines in the world. And you kind of, you really got a, a feel that the people there were very passionate about wine uh, and passionate about drinking the best wine that they possibly could, um, you know, and you were you were able to see wines and taste wines that, you know, you'd read about previously but never had the opportunity to experience. And I still think to this day that the Hunter is one of those regions where you can go to and get a real education from people who, you know, have, have tasted wines, have been to regions who are passionate about it. And also there's a willingness and a generosity there to share these wines and, you know, let you experience it. So they were the things that struck me. I think physically beautiful area um, and also the people up there, um, you know, there's that unique community. Hmm. Yeah, they do have something that's unique. I, I, I totally agree. They've, it's something about maybe forging forward and being ambitious as a region because they know they have something so unique that no one else has. Um, but then they're also such an amazing community that really backs one another and it is, it's such a special place. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, everyone – Everyone up there would admit that making wine up there is not not an easy thing year in year out. So, you know, I think there's that um, there's that hardness that comes with that. You know, to be able to push through tough vintages and, and still make great wines out of that. Um, you know, I think there's that resolve there as well. Um, and I and I I still love the Hunter, um, and certainly loved my kind of small amount of time working up there. I, I thought it was great, and even as a not in production, but as a cellar door staff member, you know, um, just the you know camaraderie amongst other cellar door staff and you know um, whatnot was fabulous. So I really enjoyed my. I think it was eighteen months I had up there at Tower, and I thought, yeah, it was really cool. And how did wine selectors come about? Um, over a couple of beers, if I'm honest, um, which I think is probably the best job interviews you can probably do. Um, there's a uh, friend of mine called David Kelly, um, who hired me for, for my role at, at Pepper's Guesthouse. He was the hotel manager at the time and he hired me, um, about a week out of college, um, to run the bar up at Pepper's Guesthouse. Um, I caught up with DK, um, uh, about six uh, six months after I got home from the UK and, you know, just caught up, hadn't seen each other for five years and I said, oh, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, I work at Wine Selectors. And I was living in Newcastle at the time so I knew where Wine Selectors was, that beautiful building down on Honeysuckle on the harbour um, and kind of had a small idea on what, on, on what, you know, what the business was about and what they did. And DK talked about his role in events and things like that. And he, and he said, look, is there any interest on your behalf if a, if a position ever came up? And I said, well, absolutely, never say never. And um, it was about 12 months after that that he called me and said, look, um, you remember that conversation over a few beers? And I said, I do. And he goes, well, the position's here. And for me at the time, I was living in, in Newcastle City in uh in Cooks Hill, um, just off Derby Street, which is one of the kind of restaurant precincts in town. And it was a 10-minute walk to the office for me. And um, the the opportunity um, to work for a company that worked with wines from all over Australia rather than just working in one cellar door as I was at Tower um, was kind of the next 
um, step for me and I guess my my journey in wine and and the rest is history. I've been there ever since. I think Wine Selectors has, you know, played a very important role for a lot of people. I know to for myself, my parents were part of Wine Selectors um, growing up and so the magazines were often around the house and, and it's what kind of piqued my interest in picking them up. I did actually write into um, – to the, the editor at the time and one of my little, um, I forget what it was even about, but my little notes on something was published and I remember it was such a big deal. I think I still have the copy somewhere. And, um, but it, it is part of a lot of people's lives and a part of their education on on, on how they how they get to experience wine. Run us through just a little bit about what, what Wine Selectors does. Well, uh, the company's company still – Privately owned um, and has been since since its inception. So it's I'm not going to state exactly how long because I'll get in trouble. But I know it's more than 45 years old. Um, so family owned. Um, it started in the Hunter. So you know it's it's kind of history is deeply rooted in the Hunter Valley. It started as the Hunter Valley Wine Society, um, and basically the idea was to bring the cellar doors of the Hunter to people primarily in Sydney, being its closest kind of um, capital city market. Um, and that to this day is still um, still the heart and soul of wine selectors is, is offering subscription packs. Um, and the idea is kind of focusing on, well, the most popular subscription pack is called the regional series. And that focuses on one particular region around the country. And it's almost like wine selectors chooses a cross selection of wines and provides information on what's happening in the region, um, iconic food producers, um, festivals going on. So we're trying to kind of capture the energy and vibrancy of each particular region around the country and deliver that directly to your door. Um, So for us, and to your point, um, in terms of people, you know, on their kind of road to discovery, for us... um, kind of discovery is a, is a massive kind of um, phrase that we use because we want to help introduce wine lovers to these cellar doors and food producers and maybe an, uh, you know um, cultural businesses in each particular region that perhaps they may have never experienced unless they, you know, physically visit that region. So, um, and look, the subscription opportunity at Wine Selectors is not just regional series. It's 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 massive in terms of, um, you know, what you can do as a wine lover to tailor a subscription to varieties you like, um, how often you want it delivered to your door, um, and and yeah, it's it's a very unique business model. Um, but again, use that word discovery and fun. They're the two kind of pillars that we that we like to think of when we're talking about, you know, what wine selectors offers a what wine selectors offers a wine lover. Mm. And I think what what's so exciting for a lot of people that are part of that is that they have the opportunity to to figure out what they what they like rather than saying, well, I like Shiraz. They go, you know what? I've realised I like Shiraz from the cooler climates areas because they're getting such a good. Um, selection of wines from all over the country, then they can start to narrow down what their palate really requires. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it, it almost is like a blueprint for you really finding out, you know, what wines you love from what regions and also producers as well, you know, exposing producers that you may like a house style uh, and that may lead you to, you know, explore that particular producer and what other varieties or what other styles of wine that they make as well. So, um, you know, in these days, if you look at kind of big box retail, you know, Treasury, Accolade, you know, these bigger businesses have a lot of um, – and also, you know, um, supermarket-owned labels. You know, you don't you don't get to see a great deal of the smaller producers um, that come from these regions. So this is – and certainly something the business prides itself on is, you know, um, exposing these smaller producers to wine lovers, um, uh, you know, and, and showing you what else is out there. Yeah, really cool. And I, 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 you know, you get to see um, representatives at the airport, which is always a good way to kill off some time is, is taste through and, and <laughs> you know, have a good old gas bag about that. But um, I think they do some important work and, it, and it's great to see that, you know, the longevity of your, your role with them. Um, in 2019, you were chosen as a scholar for the Len Evans tutorial, probably the best year ever, considering uh, I was also chosen that year. <laughs> what was the experience like of the Len Evans tutorial? Oh, look, I think it, my experience echoes, oh, I think, the vast majority of others. It was just, it was amazing. Um, I, I can't remember who who said it, but a lot of people have said it's the, you know, in terms of your wine life, it's the best best week uh, you'll ever have in your life. Um, and certainly that was my experience. Um, I'd applied five times to get in um, and missed um, Ian Riggs's call because I was in the shower at the Royal Perth Wine Show. Um, so I got out of the shower and had a missed call from Ian Riggs and went, mm, it's a bit weird. Um, so I rang Riggsy back and said, oh, sorry, mate, I just missed your call been out for a run or something and uh, he goes oh yeah you're you're um you're in you can you do november i said certainly can so um no look it was a fabulous experience um and i'd i'd highly recommend to anyone to just just keep applying um if you don't get in the first go second third fourth or or even fifth i was ready to apply for as many times as it took to get in um to me, the best, the biggest takeaway from that whole week was actually being surrounded by the best minds and the best palates in the country. Um, and I think a lot's written, obviously, about the quality of wine that you get to taste. And I think that should never be understated because the wines, a lot of them are you'll only ever get a chance to taste them once and that's during that week. But the real takeaway to me was just being exposed and surrounded um, in concentration for a whole week with, you know, the best minds and the best palates. And I extend that to both the team of tutors um, but also, you know, the like, the other 11 scholars that, um, you know, both you and I were lucky to kind of share the week with. Um, I thought – I don't know, everyone says that, but I thought we had a really cool group of people. And to me, it was never, there was never pretentiousness. It was only fun was ever had. So um, I certainly learnt a lot more from uh, the other 11 scholars than I'm pretty sure the other 11 scholars ever learnt from me. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, it was just fun. It was just fun. Great booze, 
bottle after bottle, good fun, good banter, you know, and that ability to just be able to sit there and listen, you know, to the likes of um, James Halliday, you know, um, Ian Riggs, Ian McKenzie, Michael Hill-Smith. But also I think we were quite lucky because um, we were on that precipice of a little bit of generational change, you know. Um, Sam Conyu, Sarah Crow, um, you know, the likes of, you know, Tom Carson, the, the next generation, if I may, coming through, we got the best of both worlds, I thought. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it was it was epic. It was great. Really, really good. And it worked out well because the Friday was my birthday too. So, I just went home and kept drinking as much good champagne. Not that it ever topped what I drank throughout the week, but it, it was it was just fun for me. I just had an absolute ball. Well, I didn't realise that um, one of your first roles was at, at that Spice's guest house. So it kind of came full circle for you. What an important place for you to, to kind of have your first kind of uh, you know, posting there in, in wine and then and then also to do the Len Evans and to be announced Ducks of the Len Evans tutorial. Tell me what that moment felt like. What did it mean to you to be announced Ducks? And uh, what advice would you give to anyone going in to the Len Evans? Um, utter surprise, if I'm brutally honest. Um, I, I never went in with any... Um, kind of want or any goal to be announced as as the ducks. Um, it was funny. I spoke to. I remember speaking to. I spoke to Sue Bell and I spoke to Liz um, Silkman and also spoke to Dave Brooks um, prior, amongst other people who had um, you know Gwen, my partner. I spoke to you know a number of people who were who were ex kind of scholars and said you know. What's your advice? And they basically said to me, just have fun. You know, you've already won by being chosen as one of the 12 to do it. So there's nothing else more for you to win. You've already won it. So that was certainly the mindset that I went in. But utter surprise um, with the whole Ducks thing. Um, I've – I never had before and I still don't um, consider myself a, you know, a better taster than the other 11 scholars that I went through the group with. Um, if anything, for me personally, it gave me a bit of confidence that I was seeing the right things in wine and that my opinion on wine, um, I guess, was worthy of sharing, which sounds a bit weird, but to me it was a real kind of, it wasn't a, oh, hey, you're better than everyone else. It was a, oh, okay, your opinion can stand up to the opinions of other people not only within that group of scholars, but within the, you know, the wider wine industry. Um, so that was the real kicker for me. It was just a bit of self-confidence to go, you know, hey, you're not better than anyone else, but your opinion matters as much as what anyone else's does. And that was the biggest thing I took away from from the ducks. Um, still surprises me. And as I said before, I still don't ever consider myself a better taster than anyone else in that group. Um you know, it was just one of those things. Uh, and to my point before, I learn a lot more from the other 11 scholars than they'll ever learn from me. So um, the, the funny thing was is that, uh, and I, Sue Bell, I had a laugh with her about it because she was ducks of her year. Um, uh, I tried for years and years to get into the Royal Sydney Wine Show um, 
and I'd applied and I'd applied and I'd applied and I just missed a couple of things because, you know, the quota of non-technical judges had already been filled and people were on rotation and um, I remember PJ came up to me afterwards and he goes, well, now you can get into the Royal Sydney Wine Show. I said, that's awesome, mate. Thank you. I very much appreciate that. So, you know, that I'd, I'd be lying if I say there hasn't been opportunity opened up because of that, and, and there certainly has, um, which I've been very grateful for. Um, and to your last point of your question on, on advice, um, I don't have any unique advice. I would simply steal what um, both Dave and Sue and Liz um, independently told me, and that's just have fun. If you're selected as one of the 12, you've already won. You are absolutely guns blazing a winner, and you know if to me personally, and everyone's different. But if you go in and you just and you chase ducks, and if you don't get it and you're disappointed, then you've wasted the best wine week of your life, in my opinion. So just have fun, just have an absolute ball, banter, take the piss out of each other, talk shit. You know, some of those dinners, they're some of the funniest wine dinners I think I've ever had. So, um, you know, and you probably recall the first night everyone is scared shitless to say anything and then the last night everyone is sledging up and down the table. That's brilliant, you know, just perfect, the way it should be. <laughs> oh, very true. I think that a lot of people think that, you know, as you are being graded or you're being watched for everything you say, that there are, it's a very serious 24 hours of the day. But that's not the case at all. There's there's a lot of fun to be had, and especially from the tutors who have wicked sense of humours and, and like to play some tricks on us. And, yeah, definitely fun. I want to ask you a little bit about what you love most about your job and what you love most about being in, in the wine industry. Um. Do you know what got me into wine? It was funny when I was working, well, it was twofold actually. At, uh, part of the hospitality management diploma was um, Thursday morning at 9am um, is you had a, a wine appreciation class. Um, now, for anyone who went to uni in Newcastle, they would know that Wednesday night is student night. So, out of a class of about 30, we'd have maybe 12 people turn up to the wine appreciation class on a Thursday morning, you know, because, and you look, many had been working in local bars and stuff, I get that, but, you know, the other half, you know, they were all hung over and didn't want to come. But we had this teacher called Jan Power, and Jan would have been close to retirement at the time we went through, 62 maybe, chain-smoked um, uh, Marlboro Reds. Her favourite drink was a rusty nail. So drank Drambuian scotch and was just just a legend. And she ran um, this kind of wine appreciation. I loved it. I was the first to class every day, loved it. Um, I still remember there were a couple of things kind of in terms of um, trying to pick up aromatics and flavours and, I, you know, I managed to get them and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'm into this. And that was kind of one thing that sparked it. That The other thing I, that got me into it was the free samples that I saw getting dropped off to the restaurant manager when I worked at Pepper's Guest House. You know, you, you go in and put your kind of um, wallet and phone or whatever in your pigeonhole and next, um, mine was next to the restaurant. There's always used to be a bottle. Every day was left down. I was like, what's all this free booze coming for? Oh, well, they do the wine list, you know, samples. And I thought, oh, well, it's a bit of a junket I want a bit of a part of. Um, but I've to your, to your question, what do I love about 
wine. I love the fact that you're working with a product that in general brings people a lot of happiness and they look forward to, um, you know, to experiencing. Um, I've got good mates of mine who work in, you know, mining or IT or, you know, banking and they go away to conferences and they, you know, they sit there and listen to people talk and, you know, and then they ask, well, what do you do for your conference? And we go, you go away to good food and wine show or something where you, you know, you pour wine, you, you, you talk to people, you taste great food, you know, um, all of the trade tastings that get put on, the master classes, you know, we're, we're trading in something that gives people a real experience and, you know, not taking out the fact that there are, you know, the darker sides of the alcohol industry, but in general, you know, we're working in booze and it's something that people really relate to having a fun time. Um, and to me, that was the thing that kicked with me. I was like, well, this industry's fun. The people in it like to have fun. They're like-minded. Um, and the other great thing about wine is, is that, you know, there's this um, propensity to be, you know, open and sharing and, you know, really generous, um, which I love, you know. I think that's uh, a real collegiate feel. Um, and, and in terms of my role at Wine Selectors, um Look, I, I just count myself very lucky that my role is really multifaceted. Um, I, you know, wine buy is kind of my day role, but I'm the co-chair of the Wine Selectors Tasting Panel alongside PJ Charteris. Um, so we taste a lot of wine, um, which is great because A, that's a passion of mine and B, kind of opens your mind to what's happening across the whole Australian wine trade in terms of styles and trends and, you know, um, whatnot um i've um i write a small column for selector magazine um i do a lot of our customer focus events um do a lot of staff training and work with our sales teams marketing teams so my role is really multifaceted and look i'm of the last six months of a relocation to South Australia, doing that all remotely. So um, I'm, I consider myself very lucky that, you know, I've I've got the ability to do so many kind of facets to my role and also Wine Selectors has an appetite to let me do that remotely from, from the Barossa Valley as well. So um, does that answer your question or did I just waffle? Yeah. <laughs> no, that totally answered my question and in a very succinct way as well. <laughs> You're very kind. For anyone getting started in wine or wants to be a better taster, what's your advice for them? Because you often hear people, um, especially I'm sure with selectors, that people say, I love wine. Oh, I wish I was better at it. I want to know more. But it's quite overwhelming because it, it it's you know, a rabbit hole where you, there's a lot of information there. So if someone said to you, I want to be better at wine, I want to know a bit more, what would your advice be to them? Yeah, look, I've had our salespeople ask me this as well. And uh, it's probably the fact that I'm quite a simple person at heart, but I always try and like to simplify things. Um, and I've certainly done that with all of the, uh, you know, any of the wine training that I've undertaken. Um, I... I still remember the first bottle of wine I drank. It was a Penfold Canunga Hill. It was in 2001 and I hated it. I bought a bottle of it at BWS um, and so it would have been the precursor or whatever that was with BWS, Woolworths Liquor or something and I forced myself to drink half a bottle one night 
hated it and half the bottle the next night. Um, and from then on, I just focused on, all right, well, that was that. That was a Penfold Shiraz. I'll drink a Penfold's Cabernet. To me, it's just simplifying it, Shantae, I think. Um, uh, to your point, it is you can go down a rabbit hole. And I think if people find a wine that they like and, okay, well, let's look at the variety first. Let's say it's Shiraz and let's look at the region. Say it's Barossa Valley um, for argument's sake. Well, you know, take yourself on a journey and try as many Barossa Valley Shiraz from different producers as what you can and start to figure out whether or not it's Shiraz you like or whether it's the region um, and then maybe try Shiraz from Great Southern or Franklin River or the Hunter Valley or the Yarra Valley or, you know, and, and just take take bites off bit by bit. Um, I always learn a lot by reading the back label, believe it or not. Um, I don't read them so much these days after you listen to winemakers talk about how they uh, go about putting back label information together. Um, but I certainly started out read back labels. Uh, and I think the other thing is is that um, I've always been a big believer that you're given two ears and one mouth and that should be the ratio in which you use those. So if you can listen to people who are, you know, who have more experience than you or go along to tastings or even to sell the doors and ask a question but then listen, you know, listen to why this is, why that is. And I think if you think of wine as a subject that you need to pick up straight away, you'll be overwhelmed. But if you just take it bit by bit, and look, let's be honest, it's pretty easy homework, isn't it? Taking a bottle home and drinking it and trying to get your mind wrapped around it. Um, that would be my advice. Just start small, small bits of information bit by bit, and then that'll, you know, that'll gradually put the jigsaw puzzle together. Um Eating the elephant bite by bite. I love it. I think I, th- I think you're right because, yeah, and, and, and it really depends what you want to get out of it too. I always say that to people. But you, you, I've never heard the uh, two ears, one mouth, and uh, it makes complete sense. And, and I think that that's very good advice for anybody that wants to know or wants to get a little bit more involved in wine. What I love about you, Adam, is that I think that your way of communicating is so approachable. And I think that there's a hurdle in our industry of snobbery, um, of of wine nerdiness, and uh, you, the way that you speak about wine and the way you communicate really opens the gateway for dialogue to and fro. And I just think that that is something that is so hard to teach anybody and you have it like in spades. So it's always just such a pleasure chatting to you about wine. Um and also because we can have a laugh or we can laugh at ourselves or, or, or it's just always such a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. That's very important. Yeah. And look, I think to, I, I agree with your point. I think there's a there's still a degree of snobbery, um, uh, you know, and in the I guess the, the top end of the wine market, you know, um, it's the way that those the way that those bottles, those labels, those producers are promoted you know they've transcended being a beverage and they're a luxury good so i understand that there's a level of snobbery that comes along with that but um for the general percentage of of wine and for people who consume it um yeah i think you need to just i think that snobbery just needs to be left behind and i think there's a lot of good things going on in the australian wine trade these days and um you know, if we can all play our little part to kind of 
not get rid of the mystique because I think that's one of the brilliant things about wine, but just talk about it in a much more, you know, open fashion. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's benefit for everyone there. So and perhaps when you have an accent like I do and speak as slow as I do, you probably can't be a snob either. So maybe that helps. <laughs> Maybe that helps quite a bit. I did have someone, I think it was, um, oh, who was? It was probably Spencer, Nick Spencer. I think Glenn Barry were in a cab ride one day and they did say to me, they said, you know, they were talking about someone else. They said, yeah, he sounds sounds like you. I said, what do you mean to sound like me? He goes, I sound like you should be a builder or something like that, not someone who works in wine. And I took that as a bit of a compliment. So there you go. I would too. I would too. Adam, if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Uh, so I thought about this because, I, again, it's a pretty integral part of your podcast and listening to other people's reply. Um, champagne would be one. Um, and, and these are in no particular order. Um, sh- champagne, certainly. And, look, I would happily, you know, Asterix in there, fabulous Australian sparkling as well. But I've got, I've always had a thing for champagne. Um, I'm sucker for the marketing of it. Um, you know, I think the region's fabulous to visit. I think the way that they've just kind of created, <laughs> we used the word mystique before. This mystique about this particular product is fabulous. So champagne would be one. And look, to me, it's the only style of wine that I guess it's acceptable to drink 24 hours a day, isn't it, really? Um, you have fortified wine in the in in the morning. You may get a few sideward looks. Although the guys in Rutherglen may 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 talk different. Um, champagne definitely beer, um, and um, I love beer. Um, always have. Um, can still remember my first taste of beer. I stole a Tui's new twist top out of an esky at a party when I was about nine. I remember there's a couple of mates of ours. We wanted to try beer. And I hated it. And I thought for kind of formative teenage years, I was like, oh, I'm going to be one of those people that you invite around to parties and you says, oh, you want a beer, mate? And you go, no, I don't like it. And, you know, they have to offer you a cider or something. So it was, that was a bit of a, a pretty crazy thought as a 14-year-old to have that as a fear in life, but it's probably why I ended up in the booze industry. So beer, definitely. Um, and the third one would be um, American whiskey. So whether it be bourbon and increasingly um, – rye whiskey love that stuff and um that's probably a bit of a hangover from um both literally and figuratively from you know early kind of um growing up in gunnada with drinking cans of jim beam and coke but certainly um yeah bourbon um and rye whiskey fabulous stuff mother's milk brilliant so yeah they're they're the three rye whiskey manhattan is uh yeah, pretty special. Yeah, yeah, Manhattan. I've been – I don't know what it is. I'm not a massive absinthe fan, but a Sazerac has kind of been a go-to cocktail of mine the last couple of years. Um, really, really enjoy that. But just rye whiskey, sessionally for me, with a little charge of kind of dry ginger ale, a little rye and dry, magic. So, yeah, <laughs> you still get the odd look. Well, three drinks – yeah, and they they say a lot about you. It makes sense why you ducks the Len Evans now because of all the Dom Perignon and Peronis that we drank. Those Dom Ronis set you up for success. Dom Ronis, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Classic, classic, 
Yeah, the old Dom Roney has to be brought back. Wolsey, it's been emotional, it's been surreal, and most importantly, it's been a bloody good time chatting. Yeah, look, thank you so much. Like I said, I've um, your podcast is a is an absolute essential and a regular go to on my um my various travels around the country. It's 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 one that I go to 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 kind of tune in and and get the uh, the new episode to you know so to even be considered someone worthy of having a chat to was was pretty humbling. As was your introduction. So thank you. I I appreciate the opportunity. It's been nothing but a pleasure. Thank you. And I hope that we do get to have a drink sometime soon. Uh, Cheers to you, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.